Welcome to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley Scott of Denver Seminary. What are the challenges we face in today's church and culture in a postmodern, post-Christian era? Dr. Haley believes that in addressing those issues, the church must adopt a missional mindset. Christianity does hold the answers to the big questions of today's culture. Let's join Dr. Haley for today's edition of Christian Curious. What does it mean to wait? And what are we waiting for? This is Christian Curious with Dr. Haley Gray Scott and guest co-host Hannah Greaser. I think it was probably when I was pregnant with my first daughter, Ellie, that I truly learned to lean in to the concept of waiting. Waiting was never really easy for me, but I had to wait for her to grow enough to greet the world. I was waiting to learn if she was healthy, waiting to meet her, waiting to see her face. And despite the fact that she was growing inside my own body, I could do nothing to speed up the process. And so I waited, and she came a week late. In a culture of instant gratification, we don't always understand how to wait. Hannah, I have a question for you. So how well do you wait? Not super well. I feel like, you know, being 23, there's so many things that I'm waiting to come to fruition and just, you know, waiting well is a hard concept to grasp or even to know if you are waiting well. But I am constantly, I feel like, wanting new things to happen. I love mm -hmm. new things. And so... Um, it can make me a little impatient, I feel like. I know. I think I'm with you on that because it's just, it's really hard to wait. And the thing is, is um, this Sunday marks the first week of Advent. And in Advent, we learn about the concept of waiting. Um, today, uh, we're, we're with us today to discuss the meaning of Advent and dive a little deeper into this is Pastor Tracy Bianchi. Tracy is a writer, speaker, and pastor who makes her home in the Chicago area. She served as the worship and teaching pastor in her local church for 15 years, where she regularly teached and led a congregation of more than 3,000 people. She's the author of four books on topics ranging from spiritual formation and leadership for women to environmental stewardship and motherhood. She makes her home in the Chicago area with her husband and three teenage children. Tracy, welcome to Christian Curious. Hi, Haley. Hi, Hannah. Thanks for having me. So some of our listeners may not be familiar with the concept of Advent. Can you unpack that a little bit for us? What is Advent? Yeah, it is a one of those sort of dusty liturgical words that a lot of uh, folks might not know in the church, but might actually be more familiar with um, if you think about perhaps the chocolate advent calendars at Trader Joe's or things yes. like that. It, it is the um, it is uh, the church practice of counting down the four Sundays um, until uh, Christmas Eve, and um, a rich, vibrant tradition in the church. Um, I believe, while no one can exactly pinpoint the date of the first Advent, um, historians believe it is a practice that began somewhere in the 4th or 5th century. And so uh, churches all over the world and throughout history have practiced um, the tradition of Advent. And 
uh, Advent simply means uh, the coming of something, something we have waited for. So that's why the conversation around Advent and waiting goes so well together. So Tracy, how much do you know about the history of Advent? Where does the practice come from and, you know, who started doing it first? Yeah, you know, um, uh, historians and um, folks who study this tradition believe um, it came from, um, like I said, around the 4th or 5th centuries, probably in Europe. Um, in the Northern Hemisphere, the winter solstice is just a few days before Christmas. And so when the church um, historically began to celebrate Christmas on December 25th, it was this interesting juxtaposition of the darkest um, night in the northern hemisphere coordinating just a few days before the coming light of christ and so uh, advent became historically associated with the lighting of candles and um, with celebrating light and the light that um, jesus would bring into the world out of the actual, like, physical, tangible um, cold and darkness that was being experienced in that part of the world at the time. And so, again, throughout um, history, the tradition has been picked up in a variety of cultures and expressed in um, so many different ways, um, but always with the marking of light and candle lighting and um, an Advent wreath. And that was always what they would do was set the candles and wreaths and light them traditionally. So... That's a little bit about where the practice comes from. And um, like I said, again, it's been celebrated throughout the world in every different climate and culture um, where there's a church. Well, how do you how do you practice Advent? Um, for those, you know, I grew up in a non-denominational church. Well, first Southern Baptist and then non-denominational. And so my exposure to Advent only came after several years in seminary um, in which I was exposed to like Anglican churches who hold to traditional um, liturgical methods. So how do we practice Advent? What is it, what do we need to do to be able to, to start that practice this year? Yeah, you know, it's, it's actually, what's beautiful about the tradition of Advent is it's so easy to celebrate and to honor the tradition. Um, what, uh, historically has happened during Advent is that um, on the the Sundays leading up to Christmas, the four Sundays, um, they're marked um, thematically, hope, peace, joy, and love. And so anyone could really honor that tradition, even if they didn't attend a church or weren't physically able to go to church, whatever it might be. You you could just take a wreath and put a wreath on your table. Um, You could take greenery from outside. you know, centuries ago, they used to actually bring the wagon wheels in from outside and wrap them in uh, greenery. Oh, that's interesting. Put them on the, put, it's kind of neat. They would didn't need them in the snow and such, and so they would wrap the wagon wheels and drop them um, on their tables and then wrap them with evergreens or, or, or other greenery and then just put four candles there. And um, every uh, Sunday, it could be morning or evening, although I do think it's more... Um, and more meaning to light the candles in the dark, even though at church it's usually done in the morning. And you just simply light a candle each week and honor um, the moment that God has given you to be present to the theme for the week, you know, hope or peace or joy or love. Um, it obviously can get much more robust than that. There's a whole history of practices and traditions that go with it, but it can be as simple as just lighting a candle and then offering a prayer 
that God would grant you and the people you love and this world um, the deep truths of his love and um, of the theme for the week. And so um, historically in churches, there are scripture readings that happen every week as well um, and songs that are sung, but all you need is some greenery and four candles. <laughs> right. Well, so, you know, you, you briefly mentioned the four themes of Advent in the very first week centers on hope. How do you think biblical hope is different from the way we hear quote unquote hope talked about in culture? I hope I win this game. I hope that I make A's. I hope that um, I get this new job. Um, where, what kind of ways does biblical hope differ from the hope that we hear talked about in culture? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, um, I think culturally we've sort of likened the word hope to um, luck. It almost uh, functions for us like this request that we launch up into the ether for something that is um, out of our control. Like you said, you know, I hope I win the game or I hope I win the lottery or whatever it might be. We, we sort of uh, throw the word around and, in a flimsy sort of format. Um, but in Scripture, when you, know, when you talk about hope in Scripture, uh, you know, Romans 8 comes to mind uh, where Paul says, hope that is seen is no hope at all. Um, you know, we hope for what we do not have. We wait for it patiently. Um, you know, in Hebrews, we're told uh, hope is um, confidence, and our faith is confidence in what we hope for, assurance about what we do not see. So biblically, hope has this idea of um, trusting in the promises of God. So we actually hope for things biblically that we've already been told will come true. You know, we don't, you know, when we hope we could win a game, we have no idea if we're going to win the game. And it doesn't matter, honestly, that much. But when we hope um, in Scripture, we actually hope for things that God has promised. And if we believe that God is who God says he is, those things will come true. Now, they may not happen in our lifetime, which is why we don't see, you know, always uh, the physical healing we want. It's why there's still war and terror and injustice and all of that. But God has promised that he will make those things right. And so we are hoping in something that has already been promised, which is so different than hoping that a good parking spot opens up at the mall. <laughs> right. Yeah, I have totally prayed for a parking spot before, <laughs> multiple times in recent years. <laughs> I prayed for one this morning and got a spot pretty far away. <laughs> So how do you think that um, right now we, you know, 2020, everyone kind of wants to erase it from the books and start over um, and because of the pandemic, because of civil unrest and all of these things are, are weighing on people's minds and they will be for the foreseeable future. Um, how do you think that this advent is going to be different or what do you think that the theological virtue of hope can, how can it help people as they struggle to, to deal with um, the changes in our society and what our society is struggling with? Yeah, so I think it's kind of the, the, the theme of hope and then also the invitation to wait in Advent um, have, a, have a dramatically different shape this year. Um, when it comes to the pandemic, uh, people are learning to wait. 
in ways they've never had to wait before. Yes. Uh, when, we, when we talk about uh, civil unrest, uh, some of us who've never uh, struggled with injustice um, the way some of our brothers and sisters have are now longing for the coming of justice with them. They have been waiting for justice for a long time, and many um, Christians are now suddenly learning to wait with them. And so there are these new um, massive uh, events that are happening that have forced us into the waiting. And we have no way out of that. And uh, most people can manage their way out of the wait if they try. And there is no managing out of this waiting. It's simply not possible. And so all we have left then is to turn in hope and to remember that while, you know, um, justice might not be served tomorrow and the pandemic isn't going to be over two days after that, we have been promised by God that his presence will be with us while we wait and that at some point in history, God will make these things right. Will they happen in our lifetime? We all hope so. Right. There's no promise of that, but there is a promise that God will make these things right one day. So suddenly we find ourselves um, waiting with the whole planet when perhaps we've never done that before. Mm. And we find it's a ourselves... great point. I mean, we're all in this together. We're all hoping together. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I know that's the little cliche hashtag of the pandemic, but it is so true. Like, all of the earth is waiting um, to be released from the bondage of this disease, um, to be released from the bondage of injustice and terror and war and all of the things. (laughs) And the way we wait um, as people of faith, um, we wait with hope, which is confident expectation that what God said will happen will one day happen. Mm. And so we don't sit around then and twiddle our thumbs and and say, is it today, Lord? Is it today? We put our shoulders in and lean in and we do the work of trying to listen and learn and make things as right as we can. But we also hope confidently and know that while we are waiting, um, we are are waiting for something that has been promised. (laughs) And we will get there one day. I think that's so powerful even for you to point out that we're all, you know, believers, unbelievers, we all kind of have this corporate longing right now for similar things and the value that, you know, people who have the Holy Spirit, who know Christ can bring into that corporate longing, I think is huge. Um, But, you know, our culture, especially before the pandemic in every single way, I feel like bends to eliminate weight from our lives in general, but um, do you have any insight on how waiting can help us emotionally and spiritually and maybe help us more than, you know, actively doing something could? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, most people are colossally impatient. I know for sure I am. Like, we all play those games, you go to the grocery store and you're like, which one's going to be shorter? Or, you know, if the Amazon delivery is two days late, everybody's like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? <laughs> you know, I think um, when we put ourselves in situations where we are forcing ourselves to slow down and wait, um, we can be more present to what is happening around us. Um, you know, again, I know we're in a pandemic, so not everybody is commuting or standing in lines necessarily like we once did, but if people do, um, you can force yourself to slow down by driving in the right lane, 
with the slow traffic. <laughs> mm-hmm. You can purposely pick the longest line. You can choose the latest delivery option. And um, you can purposely slow your life down. And when you feel the anxiety starting to kick in, like I'm not going to get there fast enough or where is everybody, you can start to actually breathe and pray to yourself and look around and think, okay, I am in the longest line possible. And you can look at the other people that may be in a store with you and just wonder about them and maybe pray for them or make eye contact with them or these beautiful um, moments of shared humanity that get lost when we move as fast as we can because we can't wait. So just some intentional practices to like force yourself to go as slowly through your day as possible um, can have a huge impact um, um, on your daily life. Oh, so definitely. I mean, it is so important to learn how to slow down your life. I think that that would be one of the upsides of the pandemic is it has forced people to slow down. Um, They are not able, easily able to lose themselves in various distractions. And so they, they don't have to go and commute. They don't, they're not in a rush to get to work or many people, not everyone, but you know, the, the pandemic has really set us up for learning how to wait and learning how to live slower. Yeah, I mean, I think at the beginning of the pandemic, there was this, like, um, like trend of everybody learning how to, like, bake bread and do all these slow food things at home. And it's just brought this slower pace to everything. And I think the natural penchant that we have is to keep looking outside there while we're doing that. Like, has the world changed yet? Are we done with this yet? How many loaves of bread do I have to bake? How many, how many times do we have to, you know, do this or that? And I think um, reminding ourselves to be present in those moments and not rush through them. As much as all of us are like, oof, we want to be on the other side of this experience, you know, to... Um, to just rejoice in and sit with what we have without looking around the corner for the next thing is such a great gift of this pandemic. Well, you know, you know, as a director of the Young Adult Initiative, I've spent a lot of time around young adults and around pastors, and there is just, you know, there, there are sometimes feelings of uh, quiet desperation or despair Uh, surrounding the pandemic. Um, So many young adults got hit with this very, very hard, you know, because some of them lost their jobs and they need all of those jobs in order to be able to support themselves in a world that's getting more and more expensive. Um, And so when the pandemic hit, there's, they just descended into this uh, sort of desperation and despair so what would be some practices that would help people strengthen their hope during this upcoming week? Yeah, that's a, a great question. There's been so much um, grief and loss in this experience. And I think that um, focusing on the meaning of that word hope can uh, be a beautiful practice. Like you could take and and write it at the top of a piece of paper or type it into a text message to yourself in your phone, whatever it is. 
And then when you despair over something that you've lost or haven't yet been able to do because of the pandemic, you can balance that out with a promise that God gives you. You know, God promises to provide opportunities to use our gifts and our talents in this world. That is something that we get to do as Christians. And so even though we may not get to do it now because of the pandemic, um, you can lean on that promise that there will be a time and a way for you to use those gifts, or maybe they need to get used in a different way than you envisioned. And so you can, you can kind of, you know, do a two-sided little list if you wanted to of the things you long for and the corresponding promise um, of God that we're, we can hope in and just, um, you know, just kind of make that sort of list and just go, oh, I, I've, I've lost this, I ache over this, I long for this. And then, um, you know, go to Scripture and find where God promises to make those things right. They may not be made right how we want them to, but God does promise to meet us in those longings. And personally, I find that a great comfort when so much has been lost um, this year. Yeah, I mean, I think another flip side of that, another practice might be to sit down and think about all the ways that you were in moments of despair, you were in moments of despondency, and yet God somehow made met your need and remembering those things that that God has done in your life whenever it is that you called upon him and in you know when I think about waiting for the advent season I sort of feel like the waiting helps us to give up control and teaches us to um, give up control of the things that we want to control so badly and rely more upon the Lord as we wait for him. Yeah, absolutely. It is. It, it, just, it just flips everything. I mean, and it, it goes back to kind of what we were just saying, too, about the things, the flimsy things we hope for, you know, like basketball games or, you know, winning certain things or parking spots or whatever the, you know, the silly thing may be. And it, it brings us back to that remembrance of the deep hope um, that we have in these big um, macro-level narrative promises that God has given us. And um, what a gift to enter into the practice of Advent, the practice of waiting, standing on that reality. Like, it's no mistake that the first candle of Advent is the candle of hope, um, because that undergirds so much of, of everything that we do. I think that's huge, because I know for me, I don't necessarily need feel the need to dig into the promises of God when everything's going my way. And you can kind of forget what he does promise you (laughs) as a believer. Like even when you said that he promises to give you opportunities to use your gifts and talents, that is a good reminder for me. Um, And I, so what are ways, you know, you talked about how we can kind of strengthen hope for ourselves, but what are some ways that we could show that to others in a way that is still sensitive to if they're having a hard time or this pandemic is affecting them heavily? What are some ways we can provide practical hope? Yeah, you know, that um, is so significant because um, people need that hope. And I think that what we sometimes do, um, and it comes from a good place, but our gut when we see people struggle is to kind of look at them and go, it's going to be okay. It's going to be fine. You know, I, I do this to my children sometimes when they struggle. I'm just like, it's going to be fine. But the reality is we don't know that. 
we don't know that it's going to be fine. Um, but we know that God is present and God's promises will come true. And so, you know, whatever is ailing us or angsting us might not be fixed tomorrow, but like I said, it will be fixed um, through God um, at the end of time. And the trajectory of life is towards love and towards God reconciling all things, as Scripture says. And so in a meaningful way, not necessarily in a preachy or overly spiritual way, you can just look at people that you love, that you know are struggling, and be like, God will bring peace. God gives you hope. Or you can just say to someone who's struggling, this sucks and this is awful, but never forget how deeply you are loved. Do not ever forget that because that is true. And God's hope is, you know, part of the thing that we receive with his hope is the gift of love and presence. And so you can look at people and just say, this is terrible. It will not always be terrible. And have hope. You know, you are loved, you are known, you are seen. And so I think sometimes just those simple reminders uh, to people can be huge. Uh, Like I said, we don't want to make false promises. You know, everything's going to be fine. It's Mm -hmm. not fine. Nothing's fine. (laughs) I know, but... I love that perspective of saying, okay, so, yeah, this is terrible, but, you know, God has made some promises, and this will be set right at some point in time. I mean, because you're not minimizing what people are going through. You're acknowledging the depth of the struggles that they're facing, and yet you still say, but God. Exactly. That but is such a huge part of it. It's like, you know, don't forget that these things will not be made right tomorrow, but God. And and the reminder that we cannot make these things right on our own. Like, we are still trying to wrestle this pandemic into submission. We're still, still trying to, you know, fight and argue our way to justice. And, and those are good things. I mean, we shouldn't not fight towards what is good. But at the end of the day, no one single human being is going to fix everything that we're struggling with. It is but God. <laughs> we can fight all day long, but God will come in and finish the job and make it right. So do the best you can. Shake your fist at heaven if that's what you need to do. But remember, God has this, and God has you, and that is hope. It's not hope in something flimsy. It is hope in the fact that God said, I will make this right one day. Wait for it. <laughs> Wait for it. Tracy, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It was great to be here and great to talk about Advent. You've been listening to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley Gray Scott and Mrs. Hannah Greaser. And as always, reach out to me with your thoughts and questions at Haley at HGScott.com. That's H-A-L-E-E at HGScott.com. Stay curious. Thank you for listening to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley. You can contact her with your comments or questions about today's show at her email, drhaley at christiancurious.org. That's D-R-H-A-L-E-E at christiancurious.org. You may also learn more by visiting the Christian Curious website, christiancurious.org. Join Dr. Haley again next week for Christian Curious on AM 670 KLTT.